Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host, and this is part two of my two-part interview with writer Mike Reese. For the last 30 years, Mike has been a part of The Simpsons. For the last 12 years, he has consulted, and by that it means he works a day a week, but he lives in New York, and The Simpsons are done in Los Angeles, and so he commutes, and he's been doing that for the last 12 years. Imagine the number of frequent flyer miles he has. Uh, we'll talk a lot about uh, his different experiences in show business, including the fact that he was asked to audition for the Steve Carell part in The Office. Okay, that and his crazy worldwide vacations. And uh, as a result of that, he has a terrific new podcast called What Am I Doing Here? If you missed part one after you listen to this one, go back and check that one out. Here is part two with my interview with Mike Reese this week on Hollywood and Levine. Here's something interesting. When Greg Daniels was doing The Office... When he first got the deal to make The Office, uh, I remember reading in the paper, I go, oh, good luck with that. I just thought, the, you know, here's the most beloved British sitcom, and we're going to do an American version of it. Good luck on that. And, uh, and then I'm working, I guess I was working on the Simpsons movie, and I get a call from Greg Daniels, who I haven't seen in 10 years. And I thought, if he wants me to help him write The Office, I'm not going to do it. And what he said is, will you come in and audition for the lead in The Office? For the, what became the... Uh... <laughs> wow. Yeah, and that, that's how the desperate... The Steve Carell part? The Steve Carell part. He was so desperate. I think it's before, he, obviously, before Steve Carell had come in. He was so desperate. He'd run through every actor in town, and now was just going to funny people he knew so he had me come in an audition and a, a very funny writer named chuck tatham i think came in an audition and i never acted in my life i didn't want to act and in fact i i told the writers on the simpsons movie i said i just got this offer i'm going to turn it down they said no you got to do it which just shows you writers have a much lower opinion of themselves than actors like if i if I called Robert De Niro and said, do you want to come in and pitch a script for Parks and Rec? He'd say, fuck you. But <laughs> he has the writer to audition to act. It's like, oh, you got to do it. And 
He sent me signs. I've never acted in my life and I've never wanted to. And I'm rehearsing the lines with my wife and I can see from her face, not just he's terrible, but like I married a fool. She just, <laughs> she looks so disappointed in me. And, and I go into audition. I see real name actors are sitting there in the waiting room to audition for this part. And I go in an audition and I'm getting these pity laughs out of Greg Daniels, but I see the casting people looking at each other like, who is this and how did it get in here? <laughs> so that was it. I, except for being terrible, I could have had the lead in the office. <laughs> so 30 years on The Simpsons, uh, how many years were you on it full time? Uh, probably four, the first four years. And, okay. Uh, and that was and, it. ran uh, it. Al and I ran it seasons three and four. And it was just miserable. I mean, I, I loved that show and I loved the people, but wow, running that show, I just hated it. And it was, we worked so, Al and I worked probably a hundred hours a week. We'd come in two hours before all the other writers and we'd leave two hours afterwards it, it 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 was wrecking my health. Oh, I gained 70 pounds. 70 pounds? I gained wow. 70 pounds running that show. And when I finally stopped running the show, I was able to go to a doctor for the first time in two years. And he looks at me, he got, and it was funny. I weighed 239. I weighed exactly what Homer Simpson weighs, which, uh, you know, we've established that. He weighs, I weighed what he weighed. And the doctor said, you're morbidly obese. Do you know what that is? And I go, I said, that's what Homer Simpson is. <laughs> so that was it. I, uh, those were very hard years. And, uh, you know, I'm glad people like those shows. And then I went back to just consulting on the show two or three days a week. And I guess that's it for the past 20, 27 years. I've been going in a day or two a week, which... I think so that I don't have the timeline right, but you guys created a live action show sitcom for ABC called Teen Angel. Oh, yes. Was that before or after The Simpsons? Oh, that was after The Simpsons. After The Simpsons, uh, again, Simpsons fans will like this. It was while we were, wor- while we were running The Simpsons, uh, Matt Groening came to us and said, I want to do a spinoff animated show about Krusty the Clown. And... Al and I worked out this whole spin-off show where Krusty the Clown moves to New York and he's a divorced dad and he works for a Ted Turner type. We had this whole animated sitcom worked out. We pitched it to Matt and Matt said, no, I've changed my mind. I want to do a live action Krusty the Clown reality show where we'll dress Dan Castellaneta up like Krusty the Clown and we'll send him to work on a tuna boat and We'll send them to bartending school. So obviously neither of those ideas came off. But then a couple of years later, we took all the ideas we had for the Krusty the Clown show and made it the critic, made it the, the animated show we did. You guys created the critic. We created the critic. We didn't really create it. We just took we just took our old ideas and turned them into something else. And and the critic was interesting. It was and great that, show. Oh, thanks. Love That's really, the critic. The critic was supposed to be a live action show. We 
We wrote this. Uh, we wrote the whole thing as a live action show for John Lovitz. And John Lovitz comes in to me. You know, he'd been on The Simpsons a couple of times. We thought he was hilarious. And during the time we were writing the credit, writing the pilot, uh, A League of Their Own came out. And John Lovitz was suddenly the hottest star in town. So he said, John, here's the show you are going to do for us. And he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm a movie star. And he's walking out of the, you know, meeting with us and Jim Brooks. He's walking out of the room. And I just said, what if it's a cartoon? And that was, that's how this, the critic became an animated show. It was just this desperation move to keep John Lovitz in the room. And we explained to him, oh, if it's a cartoon, you can do it around your, your busy movie schedule. And uh, that's how it became animated. Oh, so, I think it really benefited by being animated. I just remember in the pilot, you guys do a spoof of the dance of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. That killed me. Oh, that's good. That, yeah. That just <laughs> killed me. That was, we had a lot of talent on that show. The writers were all really good. And our chief animator was Rich Moore, who went on to do uh, Zootopia and uh, uh, Wreck It Ralph. So he was just a brilliant guy. So there he is spoofing Disney. And a couple of years later, he's working for Disney, as we all are. Now I'm working for Disney too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, since 20th Century Fox was sold to Disney. Yeah. How yep. bizarre How bizarre is all of that? It is unbelievable. They've been really good. They've been re- they really haven't interfered with the show at all. I think they like having us as being sort of the bad boys in the Disney brand. See, so, I'm sort of surprised. I, I would have thought that um the um the disney company would have said to fox okay we're done after this contract we're done and then move it to abc yes or even they own i'm surprised because the simpsons i think just signed for like another 84 more seasons on fox (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i was surprised as anyone they signed for two more years but it took forever. You know, this is something we usually hear in September. Oh, you're renewed for next year. And uh, we, I don't know, we didn't get it. We didn't get the official pickup to like four months later than we've been getting it for the past. You third. need early pickups because of the animation. Correct. So uh, uh, we're scrambling now. And I think, uh, I think most of the writers were coming in on sort of a good faith basis. There's some way we've had this happen before where the writers can come in and instead of getting their huge salaries, they get scale. And then if assuming the show gets picked up, then they, they get their full payback again. Good luck getting that out of Disney. But so they've been working at some sort of lower pitch for about three months now, but yeah, we're, we're sort of three months, a little behind schedule. Again, you know, when you work at The Simpsons, everything you go through, you've been through before. There was, there was one year the actors were really playing hardball, negotiating their salaries, and we started five months late because of, it, because of that. But we still got the show done. 
how hard is it to keep coming up with story ideas? I mean, once you've done 27,000 episodes, isn't it hard to find new things to write about? Yes, it is the single hardest part of the job. I mean, I think next week or in two weeks, our 700th episode is airing. And it's not just 700 stories because we do two or three storylines a week. So right. it, uh, it's, you know, we've been over 2,000 storylines and we can't even repeat because the fans know the show so much better than we do that they won't allow us to repeat something. There's a, there's a story I love to tell that uh, we did an episode like two years ago where Homer was, was smuggling snakes he was smuggling snakes to Paris. Now, right now, that shows you how tapped out of normal ideas we are. I was going to say, that never came up when we were pitching season two right. and three. They're just a regular American family that smuggles snakes into Paris. So we do that episode, and some some fan on the online fan site says, you just did an episode where Homer was smuggling beer. And it was like, well, we didn't just do the episode. We did... We did that episode 27 years earlier, <laughs> and the guy who was complaining was only 14, so we weren't even repeating ourselves in his lifetime. But, yeah, so that, that makes it really, really hard. It's the only hard part of the job, I would say, at this point. We'll get back to more of Mike Reese in a moment, but now a word from one of my favorite sponsors, Honey, it's one of my favorite sponsors because it is free. Now, my grandmother, she had a lot of time on her hands, I guess, but she would spend like an entire day cutting out coupons and then going to different markets and saving 12 cents here and 36 cents there. And it would take her all day and it would probably cost her two and a half dollars in gasoline. Well, now with Honey, it's like they find all the coupons there are out there. And if you are going to shop online uh, in one of 30,000 stores, you can find you get a lot of discounts that you were not aware of. So here's how it works. You go to your favorite online store, and when it comes time to check out, the Honey button will drop down, and all you have to do is click Apply Coupons. And then you wait a couple of seconds, it does its thing, and if Honey finds a working coupon, you'll save and you'll watch the price drop and drop and drop. It really does work. I've used it a couple of times. I just used it this last week to uh, buy a coffee table book for somebody for their birthday. I saved $16. So if you don't already have Honey, you know what? You could straight up be missing out on free savings. It's literally free. It installs in just a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and, more importantly, you'll be supporting this humble podcast. I never recommend anything I don't use. Like I said, saved a lot of money on a coffee table book. Get Honey for free. Here's what you do. You go to joinhoney.com slash Levine. That's joinhoney.com slash Levine. Did I mention it's free? So you now 
consult. You've been consulting for any number of years. And the interesting thing is, and I don't know how many years uh, you've been doing this, but you now live in New York. Right. You do a day a week on The Simpsons and you commute. I commute for about, you know, up until pandemic hit, I think it was 12 years of me having a 6,000 miles. So how would that work? When would you fly? Where would you stay? When would you come home? Yes, I would leave Tuesday evening and I would fly out to L.A. and I'd get in about midnight. I'd check into the same hotel every week. They knew me. I had the same room. Uh, and I didn't have a home in, in L.A. anymore, but I did have a car there. I think that's very L.A. I kept a car there. And I would give my wife, I would make my wife come with me, too, because I'm just a bad man. And I just didn't want to be Willie Loman. I didn't want to be this lonely guy commuting every week alone. So I'd give her the car and she would do stuff. And I would walk to the walk to Fox. I'd get a hotel near Fox. I'd be the only guy who walked to work in L.A. And I'd work all day. And then I'd get on a plane at like 10 at night and fly back to New York on a red eye. And I, it, sounds in, it sounds insane. And I did that for at least 12 solid years. And part of the reason I did that was when we moved to New York, we, we did it on the idea that, well, The Simpsons isn't going to run forever. We thought <laughs> at the time, we thought maybe it's got another year or two and it's a, let's move to New York. And now we know The Simpsons is going to run forever. Did it drive you crazy being on airplanes, going coast to coast? You know, I got used to it. And, you know, if you live in L.A. and you're driving to work, you're still, you've got like a six-hour commute anyhow. It it didn't bother me. I got used to it. Uh, I liked you fly it. business class at least or you fly coach? I fly coach. I'm a, and, you know, nobody was paying for it. So, I mean, Fox wasn't paying for it because this is my choice to live in New York. And yeah, I did it every week. I'm cheap. And, uh, you know, we got bumped up a lot. We, we had a lot of miles. If you've ever seen that movie up in the air, the George Clooney movie, mm-hmm. whoever wrote that lived it. Cause I mean, I lived that life and I go, he nailed it. He knew everything about that kind of long distance, constant commuting life. And in fact, Probably why your wife wanted to come with you, because in that movie, he like meets a girl in the bar and has an affair 15 minutes into the film. That could be. But, you know, that's George Clooney, not me. So, yeah. Well, again, I, I never said my wife. This was kind of funny, though. My wife, uh, her mom lived in L.A. So, again, I would fly out and she'd spend the day with her mom. And as far as we know. Her mom never knew we moved out of L.A. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now with Zoom, I I assume it's been easier for you during this past pandemic year because you've just been able to do it from your house. Right. When the pandemic lifts, please God, will you have to go back to actually doing it or will you be able to continue on Zoom? Will you just be on a screen in the no, room? No, I think, I think I'll have to go back to that flying. We'll see if we can handle it. And 
I uh, we had to get rid of the car. We had to oh no. Yeah, we got rid. I mean, the, it was the parking garage that we can't just keep your car here forever. And you know, we we had parked there. I think in even though last February, thinking uh, you know a year ago February, thinking well we'll be back next week, and then there was no next week. We the show went to Zoom. So finally, like uh, after eight months, I go, I go back to L.A. just to check on the car, really. And it had an inch of dust on it, which just shows you that's what you're breathing in L.A. You know, my mm-hmm. car looked like your lungs. And someone had written in the dust, he's either dead or in jail. <laughs> but uh, they said, you got to get the car out of here. So we sold the car. And then, uh, you know, yeah, now it looks like I have a guess maybe by September, maybe earlier, we'll be back showing up in person again. And I don't know, will I get a new car? Oh, no. (laughs) The problems of being a writer on The Simpsons. I know. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's such a great job. I was just talking to Al Jean, who's been there nonstop and, you know, five days a week forever. And Still, after 32 years, every call, it's always like, can you believe this? We really can't believe our good fortune to have wound up there and that it keeps going this way. We're constantly appreciative of how great the job is, and I love the people there. And so much, you know, at least by day a week, I love going in. I love seeing those guys. They're all so nice. The cast is really nice. It's it's just the joy of a job. That's great. So I want to pivot now to your podcast, okay? Which comes as a result of your hobby. Now, a lot of people like to travel. Yeah, I like to travel, but I go to resorts. Yeah. I go to the French Riviera. I go to Copenhagen. I go to Australia. I go to like nice places. You and your wife go to the most god awful hell holes around the world. Why? It's it's all my wife. I don't <laughs> I don't want to be doing this. My wife loves to travel and I love my wife, so I go where she goes. Then when she was a kid, uh, those were the days of like Europe on $5 a day. So her mom, who didn't have a ton of money, just took her all around the world. And they went to places, you know, you can't even go anymore. They went to Afghanistan and stuff like that. And she just loved it. So once we started getting time in the schedule, she said, let's start traveling. And we did. In fact, when we were getting married, uh, she, we were trying to figure out a honeymoon. Now, I, I'll, I'll say this. We got married, and I was still working full-time. I was working, I think, at Chandling Show and then at Simpsons. So we didn't get a honeymoon till five years into the marriage. And I said, all right, we're, we've never taken a vacation together in five years of marriage. And I said, where do you want to go? And she said, I've narrowed it down to Yemen or Siberia. And I, <laughs> and I said, those are places people want to get out of. But that was her taste. So I said, look, I haven't even been to London yet. So we did a year of like crash tourism, you know, where we just got on bus tours and literally did like 10 countries in Europe and 
two weeks and that kind of thing. And until I was sort of caught up and then we just kept going to weirder and weirder countries. And, uh, so yes, we've been to Libya and Iran and Iraq, and we've been to North Korea and, uh, we climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and we've been to the North pole and the South pole. And last week, I always made this joke. If they ever find an East pole, she'll make me go there. And sure enough, just two days ago, we were in North Pole, Alaska. She found yet another pole for me to go to. So wow. I go. I go it's probably not costing you anything for airfare, though, because you have enough frequent flyer miles. She she finds deals and that kind of thing. But, you know, you know what's cheaper than <laughs> getting a cheap ticket to North Pole, Alaska in the winter is not going anywhere at all. So, yeah, it's always a bargain, except we went to, as I say, we went to the actual North Pole, and we're on this cruise ship with, it showed you who the rich people in the world are, because it was was us and then big groups of people from India and people from China, and they seemed super rich. And I just, I said, what is this trip costing? Because I don't look at the bills, and she goes, you can afford it. And it's like, well, yeah, I can afford an elephant too, but I'm not going to buy one. But uh, yeah, I know she's a bargain hunter, but I don't know. This is, this is what we do. This is what we do instead of having children. So, so, so you have a podcast now uh, where you tell these amusing tales of some of your adventures. The podcast is called What Am I Doing Here?, and it's available on Apple and Spotify and all of the different places that you can access podcasts. So give me an example of the kind of adventures that you and your wife had while traveling abroad. Yeah, the very first episode is about how I've had to lie to get into certain countries. There's there's a surprising amount of lying involved to get into places. So, for example, to go to a lot of these Muslim countries, uh, I had to say I was Catholic. I'm Jewish. I don't think you people even have to see me to be able to tell that I'm a Jewish guy, and I look really Jewish. I mean, I look I look like the guy on hate literature. I look super Jewish, and uh, but. Uh, I've gone to all these Muslim countries, and on the visa application, they ask your religion, and I always have to say I'm Catholic, and they don't want writers either. So I've had to lie my way into Iraq Iraq and places like that. What do you say you are? You know, it's funny. As a travel agent said, say you're a Catholic publicist. I don't even know what a publicist does. (laughs) So it's... I would, I've gotten to these countries. So you're a I've got Jesus booked at Nazareth <laughs> next month. It did come up. They go, just go, so you're, what, kind of, what kind of work do you do as a publicist? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> so we, we lied there. And then uh, just a couple of months ago, there was a solar eclipse you could only see in Argentina. And Argentina was closed to American visitors, you know, because of COVID. And, of course, you know, when it's closed, don't go. Any sensible person would say, don't go. And my wife said, we must go see the solar eclipse. So, so this is had, during the pandemic you guys are traveling yeah. around the world? Yes. We, we, you know, 
what happened with the pandemic for the first four months of it, we were just housebound. We're living in Manhattan and we can't even, we don't have a car. We're afraid to use public transit. So we were suddenly, we were living like medieval peasants where we could only go as far as we could walk in a day. So we were just confined in this kind of four mile radius in Manhattan for four months. And it suddenly hit me, oh, this is the life I wanted, you know? I like this. This is what a lot of people have. Uh, and after four months, my wife just was like bouncing off the walls like Woody Woodpecker. And she kept, she found anytime some country in the world would open up to American travelers, we'd go there. So first we went to the Catskills, not a country, but you know, it's the land of our people. We went to the Catskills and then we went to the upper peninsula of Michigan and then I think Kenya opened up. Uh, I forget. But so for about six months during the pandemic, we'd been traveling nonstop. So and you never got COVID, right? So you're like Mr. Magoo, COVID. just walking through unscathed. That's it. So far, so good. I, and, you know, I haven't gotten vaccinated yet. It's the, I'm too old for everything else and too young to be vaccinated. So... You know, I feel like I, we just got to do it another couple of months and we'll be fine. But uh, that's it. We're suddenly getting a little nervous about it. We, yeah, we never got it. And that was it. We went to Africa twice. And then we, so during COVID, we go to Argentina during the solar, to see the solar eclipse. And we had to pretend to be scientists and join a science expedition. Uh, and that was terrible. Those you don't want to travel with scientists. They are, they were really boring and you couldn't make conversation with them. But the eclipse was good. So now, I'd it. be afraid of getting sick in yeah. some of these places. Not just COVID, but under normal circumstances, I'd be thinking if I'm in Bhutan and I get sick, what do I do? I imagine there have been times when you've been sick. Yes, maybe every two years I get something. And, you know, if you're in, like, Pakistan and you get sick, that's, that's a lateral move. It's not like... It's yeah, so you can't fun. just go to Dwayne Reed's and pick up some antibiotics, can you? No, no, but, you, you know, again, you're, you're tra if you're doing this exotic travel... That's part of the experience. So I got some terrible bug, I think, in Uganda. I mean, it's probably a literal bug. I got so very sick. And, I, you know, what I, I was crapping all over Uganda. It's basically, there's a whole episode of the podcast just about the toilets of the world because that's, that's a huge part of travel. And we finally, they got me to a clinic that was clearly had been a butcher shop until about two weeks before. And it's just filled <laughs> with sick Africans. And they finally, I get to meet with the guy, the doctor, and he gave me this little green pill. I took the pill and I instantly felt like a million bucks. I, I couldn't believe it, how instantly I was cured, not only of the illness, but I felt like I could have run the Kentucky Derby. I just felt great. And I get the bill and it was 72 cents for the, for the 
for the doctor and the medicine. So it was a good thing, you know, that's a good story. That's now, did you get more of those pills? I do. I've got a few of them I carry in my luggage for the next time it happens. But that's it. Uh, what can I say? If you're going to these crazy countries, so getting sick is part of it. Seeing foreign doctors is part of it. It's all in the podcast. This and is how I You have a, a teaser, and in the teaser you mentioned at one point some woman chasing after you with a meat cleaver. Oh, that's correct. Uh, I can't end the podcast here without asking you about that. Yes, it was, and it's funny. It's because that's a, that's something you see in cartoons. You see it all the time. An mm-hmm. angry chef chasing you with a meat cleaver. We went to Honduras, which is, you know, if if you have Hondurans listening to this podcast, and you probably do, I got to say that we're big in Honduras. <laughs> We're very big in Honduras, so be careful what you say. Right. When people go, what's the worst place you've ever been? I don't even have to hesitate. It was Honduras out of 134 countries. I just had a terrible time there. I never met. I'm sure it's, there are many nice people there. I didn't meet any of them. And then it was just one of these experiences where you go, you know, we had a prearranged meal in Honduras, and they said, the, the guy told me, if you want anything you want, it's included. I said, even drinks? Yes, even beer? Yeah, absolutely. You sure they'll pay for a beer? Absolutely. The waiter comes by. We have anything to drink? Can I get a beer? Yes. Is it included? Yes, a beer. Are you sure? Yes, the beer is included. And then we have the meal. And then at the end, he comes out. That'll be $12 for the beer. And I said, you said I didn't have to, I didn't even want the beer, but it was free. How often do you get a free beer? He says, let me talk to my manager. And he goes, he goes to the back, goes to the kitchen. And then an old lady comes out with a meat cleaver screaming and we ran out. And that was still the best meal I had in Honduras. (laughs) (laughs) So you're, you're waffling. Uh, Do I go back? (laughs) (laughs) my wife of course wants to go back because there's a part we didn't see in Honduras she took us to New Guinea and we saw half of New Guinea and New Guinea is very interesting again a very very dangerous place Uh, and we saw half of it and it all looked the same but it drives her crazy we didn't see the other half of it and so maybe we'll go back to New Guinea but it was We spent a week in New Guinea, kind of a fun trip. And as we're getting on the plane to go back, back to New York, she said, I didn't want to tell you, but they, they eat people here. It's like, oh, thanks for telling me that. Ever been to Hawaii? Ever been to Tahiti? I've done that. Yeah. You know, we're back. So, so you have seen those. Ever been to Catalina? Uh, No. So when you watch Survivor, assuming you watch Survivor, you go, oh, God, oh, God, I've been there. Yeah. Oh, honey, come on, we can be nostalgic here, (laughs) watching these various hellholes, these people getting dysentery. There really is. I'll tell you one more story. I'm sorry I'm so full of No, that's fine. We, it was very early in our marriage before I knew what we were getting in, what I had gotten myself into. 
we're watching TV and a news story comes on. It said 60 tours have just been shot at the Temple of Hatshepsut in Egypt. And Denise goes, we've got to go. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, why? And she said, because it won't be crowded. And I, I said, well, yeah, I know, I know 60 hotel rooms that just opened up. Wow, that's great. So again, the podcast is What Am I Doing Here? And it's available wherever podcasts are found. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more of these stories. I've got uh, literally hours and hours of these stories. So if you're at all intrigued by what you heard, yeah, go on. It's 15 minutes a week. It's not going to kill you. Mike, thanks so much. This has been really fun. And I know I speak for millions of Simpsons fans from around the world. And thank you for doing such a great job and putting together such an amazing show that is still funny some 30 years later. Wow. Well, thanks. It is all me. So I appreciate that. Well, there you go. I mean, even Roseanne never went after writers with a meat cleaver. That is my two-part interview with Mike Reese. Thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, and Bruce and Jason Miller. If you would like to get in touch with me for any reason, and I will write you back, my email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Please subscribe if you haven't. I am also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine, and you can follow me on Twitter at Ken Levine. Once again, our thanks to Mike Reese. Happy flying. More next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. Hollywood and Levine.